Hi everyone, this is Redlines and I'm Anya Parampil. My guest today is Bogota-based human rights lawyer Santiago Salinas Miranda. Welcome to Redlines, Santiago. Hi, hi Anya. It's a pleasure to be here. I wondered if you could start by describing recent events in Colombia where there has been a surge in assassinations of social leaders. Who is carrying out these killings and what is behind this uptick in violence? Well, uh, to understand these recent killings, it's important to see the background of the actual government. Uh, indeed, the actual government won the election after a long campaign against the peace process. And that's a, it's a very important fact to consider the actual scenario. Uh, this uh, campaign against peace process was uh, against the people who was uh, handle of the, the weapons. It was a campaign against FARC in any way. There was uh, a campaign of uh, extermination, if you want to call that, or it might be called, to be more accurate, it was a genocide campaign against the opposition that at that time was represented by FARC. Uh, not the FARC that, uh, that were the guerrilla, but the FARC that held uh, that, hand out the weapons. And all this time after the, the actual government, the Ivan Duque's government has started, has been reluctant to implement the peace agreement and bring guarantees for those who lay the weapons. But that's not the only fact. There was also a, an assumption of uh, some fascist positions between society, in the society. That's a, a, a remarkable character of the actual government. We, we could say that we're facing a uh, rise of the fascism in Colombia. There's not the possibility of uh, not to be agree with the official position without uh, receive a threat after expressing public your opinion. Also, there are uh, several scandals that links the president and the vice president with the mafia, with, narco with the drug dealers. Even in the case of uh, the vice president, Marta Lucia Ramirez, uh, there was a clear accusation against her but because of the link with a well-known drug dealer uh, known as Memo Ghost of Memo Fantasma. It was a former paramilitar that uh, used to uh, hand the, the cash of these mafias. And now he, he was uh, accused to make a, a financial support, an important financial support to the presidential campaign, uh, to the recent presidential campaign. Also, uh, in, in this scenario and with this background, to understand the death of the uh, social leaders is not any kind of social leader who has been murdered in Colombia, the opposition social leaders. We must say uh, that at this moment, it's mainly in the rural areas of Colombia, but this is uh, a progressive movement toward the cities. Uh, at, Right now, there were more than a thousand social leaders that has been murdered in these two years of government. And it, without make account of those uh, former ex-guerrillas that had hand up the, the weapons and has been murdered, it's supposed that in the peace agreement was, uh, was, uh, was the intention to protect these people through the use of the armed forces and the police forces and uh, even so, the, the assassination doesn't stop. And in several cases that now are in prosecution, 
has been proof the responsibility of the state of the active armed forces members in the murder of these people who has handed out the weapons. So uh, it's a it's very problematic situation. We can say that also it's behind all of this a recomposition of drug cartels and their armies. Of course, they uh, all all this recomposition wouldn't be possible without the acquiescence of government and the military forces, especially. In the regions, we we witnesses of how behind uh, the uh, behind uh, any operation of the uh, army forces of the army, it came behind them uh, the paramilitary groups. So it's a, a strategy to occupy those uh, areas that used to belong to the former guerrilla, but it's not. Uh, an, an occupation of uh, the institutionality, it's an occupation of the organized crime that is trying to capture the financial sources on these territories. And all this is being held by the, with the help of the, of the armed forces. It's, uh, at this point, there's no doubt about it, of the complicity between uh, the state and these paramilitary groups that are uh, behind, uh, that are chasing these uh, financial resources that is left behind by the former guerrilla groups. I saw a recent report which places blame for the vast majority of killings on the right-wing paramilitaries which are active in Colombia, but you're saying there's really no difference between those groups and the government or the official armed forces themselves. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we, uh, it's, it's hard. Uh, because uh, sometimes they came together, sometimes they wear the same uh, uniform, sometimes they came with the same vehicles, and it is no longer possible to make a distinction when you are in front of the military forces and when you, uh, you are in front of these paramilitary groups. They have the official controls of many of the region. They are the main authority over the civil authorities, and all these... Uh, has been happening just under the noses of the government. The massacres also, it's, it's something that it's, it's been worrying us uh, a lot. It's, it's like if there were an, an increase of the frequency of the massacres as a strategy of social control through the terror. They make the massacres public and nothing happened, nothing seems to happen. And nothing happened behind. It's like a, like a public ex exhibition of atrocity. And it, it seems just to uh, confirm the authority of these groups. So, Yeah, I'm wondering if you can break down some of the recent massacres, what exactly took place, and if there have been any arrests or attempts to hold individuals accountable for these killings. Yeah, indeed, from the recent massacres, uh, it's it's important to know that the ratio of the of these massacres it's been uh, like one per week since the government uh, of Ivan Duque has started. We've been assistant of one weekly massacre since this government started. That's a, a very important. Uh, it's a, it's a very important fact, but. Uh, 
from the, the responsibility of the authors of, of the massacres, it's been a result in two of them. But the the answer it doesn't seem very. It didn't appear any trust to the human rights defenders or the investigators, because it it's it happens some in the in the recent year. The main prosecutor of the country, the the organism that is the Fiscalía General de la Nación, the organism who led in. The, the investigation, the criminal investigations, it's under the control of uh, of the government, of the actual government. It has changed the main prosecutor. So the independence of this organ is being uh, systematically questioned through the results that is being presented. There was a modality of a fake result that they've been presenting and uh, it, this institution is being used against social leaders and leaders of opposition. So there is not um, much trust in the in the outcomes of the investigation that has been presented. Also because uh, in any case where the responsibility of uh, an agent of the state is being questioned, is being questioned, uh, is questioned, uh, the results are slowed. Uh, we can call it uh, like fluffy. No, it's only if it's uh, someone that work in the base, uh, someone that work in the field. Uh, I don't know any anything lowered of lieutenant might be processed, but our lieutenant it's out of any responsibility in the system of investigation. So uh, there's uh, <laughs> several uh, questions about the the outcomes that the prosecutor is being presented. But of course, there are uh, two investigations that present uh, not very reasonable outcomes against the the perpetrators of uh, two recent massacres. Two of fifty-three, barely. I want to get your response to comments recently made by U.S. Senator Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's running mate in 2016. Listen to what he said during a recent hearing on Capitol Hill regarding Venezuela. This was featuring Trump official Elliot Abrams. Colombia, right on the border of Venezuela, offers the antidote. If, if Venezuela stands as the example of you want to live under authoritarians, this is what your life's going to be like. Colombia can offer the opposite. If you embrace democratic norms and work over time, look at the positive arc you can be on. What do you think of Senator Kane's remarks? Well, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of, of democracy the Senator Kane refers about. Because uh, in the basic aspects of a democracy, Colombia fails in the political system, the assassination of uh, opposition leaders, the threats to the opposition and public opinion leaders, the, also the, the lack of separation of powers uh, and the endurance of the government in the justice. So it's, it's hard to call Colombia a democracy when the, when the, where the basic rights, rights are not respected. It's hard to call a democracy without freedom of speech. It's hard without freedom of media. So it's 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 difficult. I sometimes I feel that the only reason because um, 
from the outside, Colombia is called a democracy is because of the intention of the demonization of Venezuela to make uh, a legitimate uh, objective of war. That uh, Colombia indeed broke all promises of a democracy. And in, in, this happened even to the Venezuelan people. Those migrants that came to Colombia are systematic victims of a human trafficking, sexual exploitation, and xenophobic practices. Even they, they are attacked. They are frequent victims of uh, police brutality. The lack of, uh, of their, their rights in Colombia, it's, uh, it's apparent to, uh, to all of us. Indeed, the precarious situation of the migration that implies the, the migration of Venezuelan people makes them. Um, Put them in systematic danger. So it's—I uh, don't know what's the intention of the of the promises, but I know for sure that call Colombia democracy right now it's a mistake. How does the drug war specifically impact violence in Colombia? Well, that's a, that's quite an interesting question, especially because uh, if you consider that the, uh, the prohibition uh, forbid the, the drugs and the lack of possibilities of different regulation uh, besides forbid, it's one of the main causes of uh, keep the conflict in the uh, illegal rents of, or financial sources. So the, the, policy, the policy of... Uh, <laughs> of drugs or against drugs in Colombia, it has a long story from the 90s. In the, with the Plan Colombia, that it's where we can see clearly what's the strategy of the US on Colombia about this uh, war against drugs, a war that it's obviously lost. After more than 13 years, we have no better results. The war has increased. The coca leaf crops has increased, the marijuana crops has increased, and it has no sense. It has any sense that it be uh, that it might be legal if you harvest the same plant in uh, in California, but if you uh, are uh, I don't know a peasant in Colombia that it has a crop of marijuana, you might be extradited to the U.S. That it has any sense. It's an irrational policy, and has a and it has appeared like a fuel to the war. The prohibition, the uh, forbid of any kind of drug and the risk associated with these drugs, it's a fundamental element of the high prices inside the country and in the market of drugs. Without prohibition, with, with more regulation, it might be a uh, a solution to the world. We used to say that we uh, we receive the bullets and you get the drugs. It's an it's a, a, a symbiotic uh, relation of the narcotraffic in the north and in the south, and it's related also with the with the flows of capital. The money goes out, and the bullets goes in. Part of the market of illegal weapons are associated to the drug market also. And those illegal weapons goes to feed the war in Colombia and increases the violence and increases the capability of these armed groups 
and increases their operability. So uh, without the possibility of regulation, we are subordinate to the decision of the US on, about what to do with the, with this, in this drug world. And we felt sometimes that we are just pawns um, on this, uh, like, uh, and this uh, geostrategic uh, control strategy. The Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC, entered a peace agreement with the Colombian government in 2016, agreeing to lay down their weapons. You touched on this earlier, but can you get into the specific details of how the government failed to keep its end of the bargain and what the effect of that peace has been? Well, we could now talk of a broken peace. There were, after the several attacks of this government against the peace agreement, it happens uh, what historically has happened in Colombia with the peace agreement. Some of the parts, especially the, the guerrillas or those has, who has the minority of a political representation, uh, they return to the war. And when they return to the war, they uh, make a, a new input of violence through the whole society and there uh, there's an opportunity of a public speech of an inner enemy of a dissident enemy that must be pursued through the whole society behind this excuse of pursuit the guerrilla it has been murder syndicalist social leaders uh, environmental activists uh, leader public leader uh, opinion public leaders so after the word, there's no, there's nothing different than the prosecution of the opposition, of any opposition. When they uh, defraud the, the peace, when the government defund the peace, because that's a part also, uh, they have uh, put a lot of pressure uh, over these people who has held the weapons and they are waiting what to do if the peace is going to be implemented, if uh, the investment is going to be effective in these territories that they have agreement on the peace agreement, that they, that they will be uh, receive some resources to uh, overcome all the necessities after the war. And the security also of, the, of these people has been uh, defunded and the systematic murder without any response of the government or any useful response of the government it has been uh, a lot of pressure to those people who has who's been tired of the world and has been pushed to it by the uh, arrogancy and of, uh, of of the government. There's no way that uh, that this uh, situation has been sustainable if it's not by the uh, will and commitment of the ex-FARC with the peace. It's uh, it's a, a sad story because it's more of a political will. The implementation of peace depends of the decision of government to make a commitment with the peace. And this lack of commitment, it's counted in lies. When the government decides no longer to support the transport, no longer to support the security of these people, no longer to support uh, their commitment with the with the investment or to restrain the investment in the areas of the former FARC groups. It's only a way to push them to the war again, because the speech of the war, the, it's a, a very useful speech 
to suppress any kind of political dissidents. This has uh, been a, a historical way to uh, pursue and prosecute the political opposition in Colombia. And this time it was no useful to have uh, a guerrilla that doesn't want to fight against the state. It must be an enemy that justifies this pursuit. It must be an enemy to justify the abuse and the harass against the political opposition. And so it's been the reason it, or we feel that that's the reason, the main reason to push, uh, uh, to put all this pressure in uh, against the, uh, the peace agreement. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visited the region this week, stopping in Bogota. He essentially paid a visit to all of the countries which surround Venezuela, signaling to some that Washington is planning some sort of October surprise. The Colombian Air Force and U.S. Southern Command also held joint military drills in the Caribbean between September 18th and 21st. How does U.S. policy in Venezuela influence militarization in Colombia? Well, Jamie, it's, it's been a increasingly militarization of Colombian society. That's a fact. Uh, and this it's been traduced on uh, actions of war, especially in the borders of Venezuela, like uh, Cucuta, by example, and the violence against different groups in this region. The militarization of life, it's not only the way of um, of the presence of armed forces on the street, that now is uh, very usual. It's also the diversification of the task that they had now. Um, they are uh, in a in a uh, joint operation with the police, the joint operation uh, with the prosecutor. It would be like the um, like the marshals in the in the U.S. It's joint operation with the army. And this militarization, it's translated in a treatment of war to any uh, that doesn't be agree with the political government in actions of war against the social protest. That's a, it's a recent phenomenon, but it has their roots in the, in the historical uh, cooperation that Colombia has sustained with, uh, with the U.S. There's, uh, we, we, must to say that the, the bulk of problems, it's not on the militarization itself it, between the armed forces. It, it has a lot of sense that the armed forces change their task and try to project their areas of work to different areas. The problem is in the civil relation that it's been deteriorated by this militarization. The, the lack of control over the military forces by the civil powers, it's it's apparent right now. Even uh, if if you know, in recent protests in the city of Bogota, uh, 17 people has been murdered during the riots by the police. 17 people in three days. It's it's a lot. It's massacre, and uh, all this happened in the in the capital of the country. Over 
over behind notes of all the authorities of the civil authorities and no one seems capable to stop them there's an a declaration of independence of the armed force from the civil powers and it might be related with this pressure to uh, a militarization this idea of a military state the state that is uh, becoming uh, ready that is preparing to the war also the speech of the world it's a it's a catastrophe for a, an economy like the colombian economy that it's uh, 73 percent uh, informal so and of course these uh, these areas that of the that are that are situated in the border of venezuela are poor areas there are a lot of, of poor villages that uh, pollute in these areas and they live from the uh, exchange of the products of Venezuela. So this idea of militarization, this idea of an, uh, of an enemy that it's also acting inner and out of the country, it has a lot of implication. Also because it's been uh, present to the society uh, from years behind that uh, the guerrillas of Colombia are allied with the Venezuelan regime, uh, so when, uh, with Venezuela state indeed, that they are allied. So uh, they are bringing a threat of war to those communities, and they are becoming even uh, the police are becoming occupying armies of these territories in the border and also of any of the places where uh, they might suspect that there's the ELN guerrilla or the ex-FAR guerrilla. It's been systematically pressured, the, the population of these areas, like if they were uh, an outsider, like if they were uh, from another state and their guarantees and the state of law is no longer applicable uh, to these communities. Finally, Santiago, what do you make of the international community's silence on this wave of violence sleeping Colombia? Why isn't there more outrage? <laughs> I can suppose that this silence is related with the idea of um, a larger objective, like a strategic position uh, facing the menace of Venezuela. I guess that the, the reason because the, there's this silence on the international community is because it's, it's some kind of certainty that Colombia, it would be the platform to attack Venezuela. And no one wants to be in a bad relation with the platform against this, uh, how we can call it, against this narrative of an evil country. So I guess the idea of demonization of Venezuela passed also, it's, or it's founded uh, by the idea, or set the, their foundation in the idea of not to talk about human rights violations in any other country. So if we have to, like the international community, we, if we must 
make a Venezuela deputable, we can talk about the same practice or similar practice of uh, that occurs in some other countries, and even worse practice that occur in some other countries. It's like an the the, <laughs> the kind of exchange. It would be uh, the Colombian's human right. You know, we deny the human rights violation in Colombia to make it possible to support the idea of uh, the biggest evil in their neighbor, like Venezuela. Santiago Salinas Miranda, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it and good luck with the work that you do in Colombia. Thanks. Thank you.